And yeah. it was like, by just streamlining some of the operations, by increasing the rates a little bit, like the dude added a million dollars worth of equity to this business with just a small, you know, few tweaks because the, yeah. the old operators, you know, 80 years old, like, I don't know, I didn't want to be bothered with this stuff. Like just wanted to get out. And, you know, just sometimes it's these little, little dials that you can turn and they have big, uh, big impacts. We had a lot of fun today recording this episode. Listen, uh, Nick Loper from Side Hustle Nation is a genius when it comes to starting side hustles. Hence his book, $1,000, 100 Ways, How Real People Make Real Money on the Side and How You Can Too. You can find it on Amazon. There will be a link in the show notes. You're really going to love this. If you have something going already and you want to do something on the side, if you have a job already and you just want to test the waters of your entrepreneurship, uh, your entrepreneur skills, listen, this is the episode for you. I really hope you enjoy this one. Uh, Nick's an incredible guy and you can you can just tell his, uh, his vast knowledge uh, throughout the conversation. Uh, please, as always, give this a like, a subscribe, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think of the episode. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Hierarchy of Needs podcast. My name is Tim Palladino, and this is the show for entrepreneurs who want a higher value life and business. What is up, brother Nick? So happy to have you here. We got a lot to talk about today. What's going on, man? Thanks for, uh, thanks for the invite. I, uh, I'm pretty, pretty excited to talk about uh, a whole bunch of things. Uh, what do we got on the menu? We got your new book that I'm super excited to, to chat about, 1K 100 Ways. We got, uh, we're going to be talking about podcasting and, and, and marketing and, and everything that's kind of wrapped around it. Um, and, um, you know, for, for some of our listeners, I know this is going to perk their ears up. We're going to be talking about how to kind of come up with a side hustle idea. So we're going to hit the whole spectrum. We're gonna hit the whole spectrum of why you're right. excellent. <laughs> so let's um let's let's land on uh the book a little bit later. Let's start start with with the, the the side hustles. How do you how do you find is best to generate the idea of a side hustle? So what's what's kind of funny, and you've probably seen this diagram where it's like, you know, your your skills over here, your you know, what you like to do over here, and then like uh-huh. what you can get paid for down here. And like, oh, the magic happens at the you know intersection of those three circles. Mm-hmm. And I saw a funny meme in the Side Isolation Facebook group recently, and it was like the three circles were like a completely different corners of the page, and there was no overlap at all. It's like, well, what if your chart looks like this? And yeah. I think that's kind of the case for for a lot of people. So you have to work to really find. Uh, where there may be some overlap that you didn't know that mm-hmm. there was or um, or find something that's just, you know, completely off the shelf. So there's plenty for, you know, for the sake of disclosure, there's plenty of like, you know, call them off the shelf, plug and play side hustles. These would be, you know, the Instacart delivery drivers, the Airbnb hosts, the rovers of dot coms of the mm-hmm. world. Um, totally fine, totally viable, um, very easy to get started with. But there's a natural ceiling to your earning power there because it's like, well, sure. if you're if you're you know driving people around for Lyft, like, okay, there's a, a natural limit because there's you know everybody else has the same skill or most people have the same skill, so there's a natural downward pressure on uh, on price there. Um, where we find um, more people have kind of this you know entrepreneurial upside to their side hustles is like where they can kind of start something on their own that has some room to potentially scale and level up down the road. And where I think a lot of people overlook, and I, and myself, I'm guilty of this too. It's like, well, take an inventory of your skills. Like, what could you go out and offer? But it's like, more often, I find that um, business ideas come from, like, come, come from pains, right? We talked about mm-hmm. you know, selling, selling pain pills versus selling vitamins. It's so much easier to sell this pain pill, like make this problem yeah. go away. And so I have an exercise, I'll call it the what sucks exercise. And normally like to be a little more optimistic than this, but for this exercise, you got to put on your pessimist hat for yep. you know a day or a week and just have a notes app on your phone and you're writing down everything that sucks. And so right now we're in the process of moving and there's a lot of things that suck about moving. It's like, well, how do I get rid of all this crap that I don't want? How do I find a reliable, uh, reputable moving service? How do I find people to come and do this stuff? Where do I find boxes? Like, there's a ton of different pain points, like, and 
because apparently a lot of people are leaving California. You can't get a one-way U-Haul. Like it's like we don't have any trucks. Like so, okay, lots of different problems uh, to solve around that. But you have this notes app, and it's like okay, here's everything that sucks. Maybe it's ironing your clothes. Maybe it's you know picking up dog poop from the backyard, which actually was a side hustle guest, a uh, side hustle show guest um, <laughs> who's like you know the light bulb goes off. She's picking up this dog's yeah. crap in the backyard. Uh, I don't really love doing this, but you know, if it's a pain point for me, maybe it's a pain point for others. And sure enough, she looked it up. There was already, you know, a company or two in her, in her area that offered, uh, you know, pet waste removal as a service. So she's like, maybe there's something to this. And when we spoke, she had like 80 something recurring weekly customers for this. And she you oh, that's know, amazing. had graduated herself, you know, above the, uh, maybe not above, but she graduated herself out of doing the manual labor, you know, she had other people on her yeah. team and she was kind of playing operator and, uh, you know, optimizing routes and, you know, doing client onboarding and stuff. I was like, you know, not the world's most glamorous business for sure, but, you know, solved a real problem. And, and I like the recurring revenue element of it too. So um, if you're thinking about uh, business ideas, I, I would encourage you to think of pains or problems that you've overcome in your own life or that, you know, are still bothering you. And then go out and try and find the solution for those. Because oftentimes on the other end of those problems, there is a business idea that somebody somewhere would be worth paying for. Yeah. Quick anecdotal story about, um, I want to say about six years ago now, my my grandfather passed away and he was from the early 20s generation and um, accrued lots of gold coins. Um, you know, he had silver and gold, you name it. And and when he passed, my my brother took him to uh, my my grandmother to a local gold and silver buying company. So he went to the one that was like in the, the strip mall and he's like, I don't know, something's not right. And then he saw, saw an ad and brought her to one that was in a hotel and like in a hotel room. And the guy's like just throwing the stuff around, like completely disrespectful. My brother was like, absolutely not, grandma. Don't sell him anything. Yeah, so I came home. You know, we kind of we kind of chatted about it. And the next thing you know, we have a gold and silver buying business because they're trying to rip my grandma off. And that wow. sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so and it yeah, and it turned into something quite big uh, to where we actually even we we um, we had a, a standing spot um, in an area called Kingston where I'm from. And uh, then we were like, we need to also get this online. And I remember our first order was over three thousand dollars. Someone wow. sent three thousand dollars worth of dimes. And I was okay. like, it was, it was like our first week that we were open and I was like terrified. I'm like, this thing's going to get lost in the mail. But, it, but the, the point is like, it, it really bugged us the way grandma was treated and yeah. we could either do something about it or, you know, take less. And, and it turned into something so awesome because when people were coming in, we knew the pain that we felt. So we were able to kind of serve them. Yeah. So inspiration really can come in from the oddest and, and most inconvenient places. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's like, no, well, why why does this industry have to be so shady? Like, let's find a yeah. different way. Yeah, all I am is just like the mailman. Like, all I, I would, I'm just the middleman. So, like, why am I getting the, the lion's share? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was it was a really really cool uh, experience in realizing that uh, old industries can change, and that could that I think in a way is an invitation to a lot of a lot of side hustlers. Like, just because something is doesn't mean it always has to be. So you can innovate. You don't necessarily have to fill in a gap somewhere else, but you can also innovate on something that maybe logistically doesn't work or whatever. But there's yeah, always, yeah. always so much opportunity. I, I think that's uh, that's a really good point. And that's one of the, I guess, business models that I'm kind of excited about these days is kind of taking yeah. a, you know, adding a sprinkle of, you know, digital marketing savvy to some of these older style businesses. Like maybe it's the landscaping service or the home cleaning service. Um, Especially in the home services, you see a lot of like, if they have a website at all, it looks like it's 20 years old and you see like access for a quote. Geocities. Yeah. Type of stuff. And it's like, (laughs) no, just make it easy for me. And it's like, um, this was like a a Twitter thread on this guy who uh, acquired uh, like a storage facility, like storage unit mm-hmm. facility, which like, I guess is like a trendy thing in the entrepreneurial space. I want to buy a storage unit or a storage, um, uh, you know, storage facility. And yeah. it was like, by just streamlining some of the operations, by increasing the rates a little bit, like the dude added a million dollars worth of equity to this business with just a small, 
you know, a few tweaks because the, yeah. the old operators, you know, 80 years old, like, I don't know, I didn't want to be bothered with this stuff. Like just you wanted to get out. And, you know, just sometimes it's these little, little dials that you can turn and they have big, uh, big impacts, not just to the monthly cash flow, but like to what this business might be worth uh, down the road. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the uh, models that I'm excited about, kind of these like local uh, blue collar type of service operations and, uh, you know, adding, you know, being a better, you, you may not even know, need to know how to do the thing, like go find qualified people to go do the actual service. But if you can be a better marketer, I think there's huge opportunity because a lot of these industries are so fragmented, right? We talked to, um, on the Side Hustle show a few years ago, Brian Scudamore, he's the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And it's like, mm. here, here, before he came in, a very, you know, fragmented, uh, you know, uh, industry with like no dominant regional or national players. And then he came through with, you know, the franchise model in his case and became that guy. But you could look at that, you know, for house painting, for pressure washing, for mobile car detailing, right? Like if, and, if you're yeah. looking at on a national level, like there's, there's nobody necessarily that comes to mind. Maybe there's certain players locally or regionally, but like there's an opportunity to build a brand in that space. And, you know, you don't have to, when we spoke, he was doing like a million dollars a day in revenue. It's oh, like, man, that's oh, wild. Wow. Um, but you don't have to go that big. Like if you just want a little side project, little lifestyle yeah. business, like you could do it locally and be just fine. Yeah. I think it, it's intimidating to get into for a lot of people. And I know it was to a certain degree for myself to get into an industry that is, that seems so set on a foundation. Um, and something that I'd kind of like to point out is when someone does something and, and you'll, you'll recognize this if you're a business owner listening, that when you do something, when you have a, a system or procedure, you kind of stick with it. No one really innovates in their own business. They just go with it. And if something's an old enough industry, when I say old enough, I mean like up to five or as little as five years old, they have systems and they're not thinking about innovations. So you can see and, and, and level up what they're doing. It's so, so easy. We did that with, um, I had a company called Vine Van Gogh. It was a sip and paint company. And we okay. would take people step-by-step step how to recreate a painting at a, their favorite bar or restaurant in the area. Nice. You know, we were in four different states. Like, And the reason that we grew so fast, so, so fast was because we just wanted to make it a little bit more white glove. We wanted to give them just a little bit more attention, not like Russian party. It was, it was, as I said, white glove and more relaxed atmosphere, but still fun. And we charged a little bit more and people, people recognize it. So they had something to contrast to. So us being setting apart made people really think and then make a decision between the two. And, you know, we were fortunate enough for, they started choosing us. So it's, it's, yeah, create the create a contrast in a lot of situations, and that's that's where that's where the money will flow. Yeah, I like that. If you can't be if you can't be first, be different. Uh, was yeah. was one line that I think Jonathan Mendonza. Oh, I like uh, that one. Laid on me. He's uh, he's co host of uh, the Choose FI podcast, financial independence podcast. Nice, nice. So people getting into um, uh, side hustles or or considering potentially getting into side hustles, what are some baseline skills that you think are super, super necessary before even picking a business? Oh, it's a, good, it's a good question. Like, well, most important skills. I mean, the most important skill, and I've said this on air, is kind of the meta skill of learning new mm. skills, because this is something yeah. that I really took for granted. I was like, very, you know, of course, in hindsight, like very grateful to have an awesome public school education and just have this, you know, this ability to learn and study and like figure stuff out was, that was just like what, that was just what you did. And I kind of been yeah. realizing, um, okay, not everybody else had that experience. So that was, you know, that's kind of a very good baseline, but I think you, you still have the ability to learn whatever you need to learn. And, you know, there's YouTube and there's Skillshare and there's Udemy and there's, you know, the entire library is out there. Like you can learn just about anything you need to do pretty affordably. And one, you know, one of the guests on the show had like a little knife sharpening business. I was like, well, how'd you get started? And we're like, I you know, kind of wanted like a more hands-on, uh, you know, hobby type of thing. And so I, you know, taught myself how to do this on YouTube, practiced with some friends and family's knives and, I think when we last spoke, he was doing like 1500 bucks a month. So not, um, you know, wasn't That's great. Blowing, wasn't blowing this up, but it was like a nice little supplemental income stream. And it was something that he enjoyed doing. And he's, and similar, like, I don't 
you know, I don't have any desire to like, you know, bring this nationally or something. So he's helping other people start their, you know, little local uh, knife sharpening operations too. I think it's kind of cool stuff, but no, I'm totally, uh, totally with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would say I would even like um, quantify it down or reduce it down to being resourceful. Um, just yeah, being knowing where to look, or at least having a list of places to look for, for answers or even questions. Yeah. Um, this, this ability to figure it out. I know Marie Forleo says everything is figure outable. I think in other skills <laughs> that come to mind, like I used to be, um, you know, if you asked me this 10 years ago, it would have been sales. Sales is your, sales is your most mm. important skill. Like nothing happens until somebody sells something. And I had a little bit of a sales background. Like that was kind of my mm. role in corporate kind of quasi sales role. That was my um, experience in, uh, in college, like selling house painting jobs door to door. And then you know, going out and figuring out how to, well, how do I actually uh, deliver the house painting that I promised these people? Um, but, you know, I would have told you sales, um, you know, maybe five years ago, I would have told you creativity is like, well, before you even have something yeah. to sell, you got to create the thing. You got to come up with the idea, yeah. you know? Um, so I, my, my stance on this has definitely evolved, but one of the, I guess one of the skills or one of the traits that I see from uh, many side hustle show guests is this willingness to experiment is, and I don't know if you can qualify that as a skill, but like this, um, not necessarily embracing failure because failure still sucks, but the, uh, you know, that ability to take that first step, maybe not knowing what step two, three, four, five, six is like, just, yeah, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. If it, you know, I'm going to see what kind of reaction it gets kind of like first move in, in a game of chess, I'm going to move my little pawn out into the world and, and Genuine, maybe I don't know. See what Some, the effect is. See what see what effect it has. See see what kind of yeah. reaction I get. So one of the things that I actually teach in, uh, in with with the uh, the clients that I coach is when when you get to a point where you don't know what's next, it's time to turn on a childlike sense of curiosity. It's time to start going around and poking and asking questions and asking and, and experimenting and stuff like that because that's the only way. Because our adult logical brain is like, oh, danger danger, wrong way, dead end, you know, instead of like, let's have fun with this and like do something that we know there's going to be a dead end, but allow it to teach us once we finish, you know, be able to extract from the experience. Um, so yeah, I always tell people to have a childlike sense of curiosity. I like that. Um, and right, well, you said you don't have any kids, but I get, I get a daily dose of this, um, with a, <laughs> with a five-year-old and a three-year-old and they're like, why, why is that? How does that work? I'm like, I, I don't know. And so we, we say, well, that's a good science word. It's like what they say, like when they have like a science question or something yep. like, we'd, like yep. I, I don't know, you, you've reached the end of mom and dad's, uh, you know, knowledge of the universe. So it's yep. like, well, let's go YouTube that. Let's go look that up. And it's like, oh, cool. You learned something too. Yeah. My niece is like that. She's just nonstop, just curious. And it's always just, it's so cool to see how fast it escalates into an, a knowledge and then into an understanding, Yeah, which is, yeah. So kids, kids got to figure it out. <laughs> we, we need to learn from them. Um, so let, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, the podcast and podcast marketing and, and how you think that that's uh, the state of the state of the union with podcasting is. Oh, state of the union on podcasting. So <laughs> I am still bullish on podcasting, even though it is certainly more crowded uh, in 2021 than it uh, was in 2020 than it was in 2019. Right. So um, the reason for that is there's still like half the population or something. I don't know the latest statistic who have never listened to podcasts. I don't know what podcasting is. Like there's a big existing audience for podcasts, but there's still a big segment of the population left to uh, conquest, so to speak, left to have this mm -hmm. epiphany moment of discovering on-demand audio on whatever topic you want to learn about. Like, because that's what it was for me. It's like, oh, where has this been all my life? Like I used to drive mm -hmm. five, six, 700 miles a week for work, just listening to country radio, listening to stand-up comedy and just like, yeah. oh, you know, I should have been, um, I could have been a lot farther ahead on my journey. So I like podcasting for that reason. The the biggest shifts that we've seen over the last um, eight years of me having done the side hustle show was, uh, you know, the entrance of big media and, and big money. So you, mm. now you see ESPN and the New York Times and NPR, and, you know, all of these, yeah. you know, really well-established media brands. And you also see celebrities, you know, bringing in their own existing audience, which I think is cool. Um, 
because you know they're oftentimes bringing new listeners into the fold. Like I never saw a bigger spike in listenership than when Chris Gillibo launched Side Hustle School, like in early 2016, oh. early 2017. I forget when he did that. Um, but it was like at my first reaction was like, crap. Uh, here comes yeah. like, you know, multi-time New York Times bestselling author. He's coming into my territory, like, dude, what are you doing? But but the opposite thing happened, you know, he because he had this huge audience, this huge email list, and you know, people were like, oh, people were looking because you know, he was talking about all these different side hustles. People were like, Well, this is cool. What else? What else is out there? What else have you got? So I saw a big um increase in interest there. So um big money, big media, celebrity, um, celebrity podcasts and in highly production, uh, highly produced podcasts. So it's like, if you are starting today, um, you're going to have to bring a little bit of, you know, a baseline of audio quality. Like, and, and for me, that was like, you know, $50 mic in the living room kind of thing. Like you can get yeah. started very affordably, but it means you really got to bring it in terms of your content. Like, um, you just study, study what you like and what you don't like from other shows and, and be, you know, be better, like do, be, do the show that you yep. want to listen to be respectful of listeners time. Cause I, I have what I call like the, the listener pyramid. <laughs> you can imagine like <laughs> the, the biggest, the base of the pyramid is strangers, people who don't know you exist. And your goal as a podcaster is to ascend people up on this pyramid. Mm-hmm. Level two is listeners. Level three is uh, subscribers. And, and the top level, like the peak of the pyramid is fans. Like these are the evangelists. These are the people who spread the word. These are the people who, you know, buy your products and services. Like that's kind of like what you want to do and everything uh, related to your show is, is designed to get people, uh, you know, climbing that pyramid in the first stage. I don't know how granular you want to go, but like the first stage is this discovery phase, which, you know, a lot of people will, well, I'm just going to rely on iTunes or Apple podcasts to, for people to find my thing. And it's like, well, there's, you know, 500,000, a million podcasts out there. Like it's a simpler, it's a simpler form of SEO than, uh, than Google for sure, but it's still, uh, it can be difficult to be discovered there. And I am not entirely confident that that's how the majority of people discover new shows, right? Like if I, if I ask you like, how do you find new podcasts? Like most people will say, oh, a friend told me about it or word of mouth or some way. Right. It's like, oh, you got to go check this out versus like, well, I was searching for something and, you know, the show popped up like less likely to happen. Not that you should neglect, you know, having the title of your show being uh, reflective of what the show is about. Um, Not that you should neglect having, you know, compelling sounding episode titles. Um, Because I was on a show, this was years ago. And they did what they were supposed to do. They're like, Nick, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Your episode is out today. Here's the link uh, that you can share with your with your people. And, and I click on it and it says like 33 colon Nick Loper. It was like, that was the episode title. I was like, what's it for Who's going to search like, for that? Like, who, <laughs> like, I mean, maybe if you're, I don't know. It's some crazy celebrity and you can get away with that, but like, nobody knows who I like, what did we talk about? What, you know, what are people going to get in exchange for their half an hour of listening to this? So there's lots of games to play, um, on the, just, just like general marketing side. And I was kind of grateful to, um, kind of stumble into this. Uh, I think on episode five was like how this one guy earned enough money on Fiverr in his first year to buy a house. And that was like the title of the episode. Cause that was, that was his hook. That was his kind of like story pitch. And it was like, how, how did that happen? Like, I'm, I'm curious as a host, how that happened. So let's dive into that. Um, Cause there's, there's a, there's a, a barrier to like, well, I got to find, you know, my podcast app and then I got to find your show and then I got to find the specific episode. Like there's a barrier to that. So you got to make it compelling enough for people to be willing uh, to jump through those hoops. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally does. Totally does. And it's, it, podcasting right now can be so intimidating because we're, we're hitting this, we're hitting this threshold um, where it's being made so easy by these third-party companies, which, and full disclosure, we're about to become one of the third-party companies. We're about to start a podcasting, uh, a podcasting studio. Um, But it's, it becomes so noisy. It's so easy, but the noise makes it a little bit intimidating for people to get started. Uh, it started rather, and um, it can get scary. 
it can get scary, but I think it's, if you have, if you have something relatively unique and you enjoy doing it, like for me, this podcast is selfishly to meet awesome people and learn from them and compound my understandings of certain topics. So this is, this is a very selfish podcast in the sense where I get the most out of it. And I think people being privy to it or being part of it, they get, they get awesome benefit from it too. And that's what we're noticing. So I, I don't know if that's like an angle or what you would call it, but, but because of my genuine interest in the people that I, that I talk to, I think it, it changes how it's expressed versus just like a, well, let's talk about, uh, uh, let's see social media strategy. And I just don't care, you know, just because I'm trying to serve the audience. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my angle, but I, there's, I, I saw one mind your mind, mind your business in dog washing. It was mind your business, dog washing. That was the, the podcast the other day. And it was okay. like, it's, it's how to start a dog washing business. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That's weird, but that's awesome. That's someone cares so much about that. But there's a niche, right? We had yeah. a guy. And they had um, reviews. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy, Jordan Berry on the show. He's like the laundromat podcast. It might be called the laundromat podcast, um, but he's like a laundromat investor like that was his one of his side hustles and he's just like so excited about that you know and he's like yeah. got a dozen different reasons like oh you know it's uh you know it's a cash business it's you know you get depreciating asset like it's a great tax advantages like oh you know you can buy these things at you know a two or three x multiple and he's like super pumped about it and he's got the laundromat podcast and he's like it's doing surprisingly well i was like jordan what you know pause right there. Why do you say surprising? He's like, Nick, it's a laundromat podcast. Like who is doing right. into this stuff? But there's enough people out there in these kind of little micro niches that are, um, that are interested in this stuff. So um, if you, I guess, I, I mean, different podcast strategy, right? Like if you want to go broad, you're going to have to have a broader uh, appeal. And if you want to go, um, even go super niche, then you almost need to have your own kind of like consulting practice, your own um, you know, digital product, like something, you know, that there's, you know, something, a backhand offer, right? Like the podcast yep. is content marketing uh, for the business rather than the podcast being the business itself. And it took me a, an embarrassing amount of time to kind of mm-hmm. figure that out for myself. It's like, oh, you know, I'm going to make this, I'm going to start this podcast, like no business plan in mind. And it, you know, probably took 60-ish episodes before I realized like, oh, this thing, at least at that point was never going to be um, a business uh, in terms of just like pure sponsorship revenue, yep. uh, at least an interesting business, because it would be, uh, you know, podcast advertising is like amplitude and frequency. How uh, how many people can you reach? Uh, how big is your audience? And how often are you publishing? And that's why like a yeah. daily show or even a Tim Ferriss show, where it's like, you know, two, three times a week, like that can do really well. Big audience, you know, multiple, you know, lots of frequency. Oh, all of a sudden advertising becomes really, really strong option uh, for a smaller show <laughs> doing it once a week. It's like, uh, you know, this, this hardly pencils out. Um, yeah. Grateful that, you know, probably about three years in, like started to get sponsorship inquiries and it's become, you know, the equivalent of a full-time income source for me the last few years. But early on, it was like, oh, uh, I got I to gotta figure something else out to, uh, to make this work. And for me, that was capturing emails. So it was like, okay, how can I- Oh, nice. Um, how can I turn listeners into subscribers? It was kind of like the next step up the pyramid um, to say, you know, how, it's a, and we're joking about the the awfulness that is podcast analytics. It's like, how do you turn this mm-hmm. anonymous stranger into an actual contact? Like somebody you can reach out with in, you know, through email and then tell them about yeah. your latest episode and tell them about other products and services that you have or point them to other helpful content. Like that was uh, such a big turning point uh, for me in the business. And this was like 2014, like I figured out and, and just, you know, I, I've kind of seen diminishing returns on this, but like early on, this worked really well. was like creating an episode specific lead magnet. That was just like a text summary of the episode. Like, Hey, look, you're out walking the dog. You're at the gym. You're driving in your car. You're not in a great place to take notes. I get it. Don't worry, we did it for you. If you head over to sidehustlenation.com slash whatever, um, you can download that uh, for free. And you know, I had maybe a thousand email subscribers at the time I started that. That jumped to three thousand within three months, oh, six thousand wow. within six months, twelve thousand within twelve. It was just like this uh, really big turning point for the business. And then that you know the 
the, the email is kind of a leading indicator to revenue down the road. It's like maybe like I, I still don't have like a very aggressive like oh marketing funnel where I could tell you well, every yeah. subscriber I get is worth you know a, a buck thirty seven. Like it's still not like that, but it was definitely you know the business side, the revenue side started to accelerate as well at that point. Yeah, that's something that actually I'm leaning into right now too is uh, developing more of like a, a blog page. Uh, because this, this gets, um, this gets put on YouTube as well as not just, you know, not just the podcasting channels. Um, but I want somewhere for someone to be able to read it. Some people just prefer reading. I prefer videos, you know? Um, so why not serve them? Plus it's SEO. So, you know, you spend a couple bucks on rev, turn it into a, a written conversation, and yeah, there you have. And then you can, I, I actually heard, uh, oh, what was the guy's name? Oh, I wish I could remember his name. Anyway, he turned his first like hundred episodes into a coffee table book with illustrations. Oh, okay. And it was just like, it just blew my mind. I'm like, of course, of course. Um, yeah. So yeah. Like, was that, uh, was it Chris Gilbo? Because he had his no, book, like, was, 100 Side Hustles. Um, That's like kind of a coffee table style book. No, Oh, this guy's a history guy. Um, he has an incredible, incredible podcast, and I can't remember what it is right now. It's like something history. Okay. Like untamed Hard, history. Hard, hardcore history. Hardcore history. That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. I love this show. Like, so this he's is, got a book. Is, yeah, which is like, you know, near, near death experience. It's like, you know, it's some crazy episode, you know, crazy story is just like about. <laughs> you know, pandemics and, uh, and other disasters. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, he's really fascinating to listen to. He's really oh, he's such, he's such a good storyteller. And, and that's like, that's what you want to hear. Right. So I, he has ascended me like to the fan, uh, element of the pyramid by being, yeah. you know, excellent at his craft, right? Like anybody who will listen, I will be like, you got it. You got to go check this out. <laughs> and like my wife, could not care less about history and stuff. And, and I'm just like telling her, like, I, I have to start every story with, I know you don't care, but did you know that blah, blah, blah. And it's got to get it out. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, like, it's just, it's awesome. I just finished the like six part saga of uh, World War II in the Pacific. And like, oh, I, like yeah. I know my grandfather served like in, he was stationed in like Northern Australia in the Navy and stuff. So I was trying to like, dig into some of his like well you know did he see combat like what was he doing over there like what was that like um i don't know total side note but excellent example of somebody who's done very well with with podcasting um by by creating something that is is just super compelling to listen to even though you know you, you you stare at this and you're like well a three hour episode like who has who has that yeah. kind of time but it's like you, you chip away at it and enough people tell you about it they're like oh you you know eventually you're saying okay i can i can dedicate my week of commuting to to learn this thing yeah and it's um you know this is this is another um note that i just want to make real quick before we hop on to the next topic like i, I would suggest and i'd like actually your your feedback on this make if you're going to do a podcast make it for yourself and if and, and don't hesitate because i hesitated for a long time there's a lot of information out there that can get you started properly. And your first couple episodes, your first couple seasons, whatever, aren't going to be like your latter episodes and latter seasons. They're going to be, it's going to be so much better as you grow. So allow yourself to evolve, you know, take the risk to bet on yourself. Uh, yes. You need to probably get 30, 40, 50 episodes. You got to get those reps in. Uh, I don't know yeah. if there's any way around. I still don't it. know like, what I'm doing. <laughs> the, the first ones, they're going to be awkward. They're probably going to suck. You're going to cringe when you listen to them a year later. Yeah. But um, I remember Joe Salcihai, Joe Salcihai, he's the host of uh, Stacking Benjamins, like really popular personal finance show. Mm-hmm. And That's he's a good like, name. I am, uh, you know, uh, I'm embarrassed by the work that I did a year ago. And a year from now, I hope to be embarrassed by the work I'm doing today. It's like this drive for constant, uh, constant improvement. And he's done. I'm with it. He's done really well with that. I kind of want to counter your, you know, your call to do it for yourself. Cause I think in, in podcasting and content marketing, you really have to kind of think of the audience or avatar that you want to serve and, and do it for them, build the show for them with your inherent uh, curiosity and your unique angles, like kind of 
playing into that. And I think that's, that was kind of, you know, again, podcast analytics, who knows, like what was, yeah, what was driving yeah. the side hustle show in, in the early days was like, okay, um, I wanted to build the show for, you know, for me, maybe for me, you know, 12, 24, 36 months ago, um, you know, deconstructing these business ideas, um, you know, where does the revenue actually come from? Like trying to create the show that I wanted to listen to. And then, you know, just, it, it worked, it worked in my favor. Cause I was like naturally curious about this stuff anyways. And, and to your point about like, oh, you know, all of a sudden people who maybe charge a thousand bucks an hour for their consulting time are totally willing to get on a call with you because, well, you have a podcast now. And it's like, it was yep. such a weird yep. dynamic and such an interesting kind of networking, um, networking effect that I had no really, uh, no real idea of getting into it, but that's been probably one of the, the biggest intangible benefits is being able to now go into, uh, go into a conference and have people know who you are and have, you know, have already met, you know, met virtually, you know, a, a good chunk of the attendees there uh, by virtue of, of having the show. Yeah. I was actually super surprised. This just happened yesterday. Um, someone reached out to us and asked, I've never even heard of this person. I don't even know how they found the podcast. I, I, I asked, it was actually their assistant that, that reached out to us. I was so flattered that they <laughs> messaged me on Facebook and was like, Hey, I love your show. Can we be on the show? And I'm like, yep, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it was a cool thing that they're offering. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a really <laughs> the cool time will come. Effect. The time will come where you get inundated with those pitches too and many. <laughs> you, and you don't look forward to them anymore. <laughs> uh, well, I hope I, 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 I hope I can serve them as best as possible until that time comes. Yes. Um, let's, uh, let's, um, move over to the book. This is, this is the big one. This is super exciting. This just came out two weeks ago. Yeah. This is, uh, this is my latest project. This is my new, yeah. my new baby. So it's called one K 100 ways. First off, I love the alliteration and I also love that it's a super awkward title, but yeah, I know. I think I love awkward titles. I mean, the name of my, my, uh, my podcast is entrepreneurs hierarchy of needs. It couldn't be any harder to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a fan of awkward titles. Makes you say it 10 times and memorize it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tell us all about the book. Yeah. So this is a collection of stories from the side hustle nation community on uh, how, how people, uh, how audience members uh, in a lot of cases and some side hustle show guests are making extra money. It goes through the same set of questions for, for every story, for every profile. So you can kind of compare across pages, compare apples to apples. And it's like, how did you come up with that idea? Uh, how much did it cost to get started? You know, what, what did you, what did you spend that startup money on? It's always kind of curious to me. Yeah. Um, how'd you get your first traction or your initial sales, your initial customers? I love reading those types of responses. Like what else has worked to market your business? Um, what mistakes uh, did you do, did you make? What would you do differently if you had to start over? And it was kind of surprising because one of the most common responses to that question was like, "I wish I'd started earlier." I was like, "Oh, you know," because um, oh, everybody wow. says, and everybody says this on the show too. Like, what's your what's your number one tip for side hustle nation? Just get started, which is like, it's and I think it's kind of like frustrating advice if you don't have the idea, or you don't know what to start. Yeah. But the truth is it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the opportunity has become visible once you're in motion. And so many people, you know, if so many people give that as like their advice or their mistake that they made, I waited too long. Like there's gotta be some, some merit to that, but this book was a ton of fun to put together. It took way longer than I ever expected. I thought this was going to be the easiest book in the world. It's like, I'm going to crowdsource this book. Like I'll just put out this little survey form. People could fill in the answers and bing, bang, boom. I'll have it out in a month. And it was like anything but the case because I, you know, promised oh, that's funny. promised a hundred ways. And I, you know, finally went through all of the responses and had 150, <laughs> 200 responses. But some people gave you like 150 words, like, ah, I could use a little more detail here. And some people gave you 1500 words. And it was just um, a little bit of a, of a process to kind of go through and be like, well, that is interesting. So I kind of had like a traffic light system of, you know, green, yellow, red, uh, you know, and so I was going back through the yellows and being like, uh, do you have, can you expand on this a little bit? So there was a lot of, a lot of that. And then a lot of kind of formatting normalization stuff to try and like make it all kind of uh, consistent. So if you were to go back and do that process again, maybe there's uh, 
we're going to do 2k 2k 100 ways <laughs> that's yeah, going to be know. the sequel and how would, what would you do what would you do different in that in that <clears throat> sense i think i could be more upfront about providing uh the guidance of like what what a you know a quote good answer looks like like the level yeah. of detail that would be that would be compelling um it, it, that would probably be the biggest thing like because even i put at the top like um, you know, after the first round of responses, I you know, made a, made a slight change to the form, like mm-hmm. be, de- be detailed. We, um, you know, we can always edit stuff out, but we can't really put words in your mouth. It was kind of like the, the way that we phrased yeah. it. But I think with now with a bunch of examples, that would be uh, a good idea for part two. Um, the requested sequel was actually uh, 1k hundred ways, like business ideas for kids, which I think might be a really compelling project to tackle, even if it's not a thousand bucks, but just like business ideas for kids as our, um, our little wow. ones are, uh, getting, or at least our oldest is getting a little more interested in, in having some spending money. So let's we'll see yeah. uh, if, uh, if we can get down, uh, down that road. I think, I think that's going to be, I mean, you kind of know my background with, with side hustle and stuff like that. And a big part of side hustle uh, the, the party game for entrepreneurs, just in case you guys don't know, um, playsidehustle.com. Playsidehustle.com at playsidehustle.com. So yeah, one of the big things is bringing people together. And as an entrepreneur, my brother's an entrepreneur, you know, um, it's something that you can, we can bond with, with my niece. Uh, she's, she's really interested in just how the world works and, and business is in commerce is a giant part of it and it's yeah. something that we're into and it's also the more and more i think about business the more it's actually just a game it's just a game there's score system you know there's a point you know that the point system of like hey are you making your customers happy are you serving them there's rules and it's like we can we can change this so i think a big part of what we were doing was to influence children into being to, to become brave and and capable in expressing a creative idea, yeah, you know that was a big big chunk of why we created side hustle. Um, it, it's so you can get practice, you know, practice where it's safe. Yeah. So yeah, so you can be good at it when it's time to fill your safe. Um. So uh, yeah. So I I I totally totally want you to give my vote for that book. <laughs> I definitely, right. I definitely think it's a great idea because, you know, the, I, when, I, when I was a kid, like, like we didn't, I don't know about you growing up, but like you weren't really allowed to talk about money. It was kind of like a f- taboo. It kind of was. And it's, it's kind of, you know, probably doesn't need to be that way, but like in our house, it was, you know, a frugal household. Mm-hmm. We were never, um, you know, we're never going hungry, but it was, you know, spending with intention was always yeah. the, um, the kind of the mantra. Um, but I was, you know, really grateful. Like mom and dad encouraged me to get a credit card when I was 18. Oh, you're going to want to start building credit. Like just yep. treat it like a debit card. Like, you know, pay it off every month. Like, don't be, don't be dumb. Like don't pay 30% interest, but like, um, you know, start building up your credit, which helps getting loans and other stuff down the road. Um, I was also really grateful to have this teacher in high school, Mr. Torget, who, you know, was big on like the dollar cost averaging and like compound interest. Like, cause we had, yeah. we had to learn about exponents and power laws anyways. So he's like, well, here's, here's a real life example. Like, you know, by the time you're uh, retired age, you'll all be millionaires. If you just follow this simple plan and where he kind of stopped short was like, okay, that's, that's great. You know, you have $7 million by the time you retire, if you follow this, this monthly investing plan but do you need $7 million? Like where he kind of stopped short. Right. was like, okay, what's the, what's the financial end game or like the, you know, the fire movement would call it like the rule of 25 or the 4%, you know, withdrawal rule and stuff like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, that, I don't know if that would have been motivating or terrifying to like 18 year olds. But, you know, when I first came across it as a late 20 something year old, it was, it was actually kind of encouraging. I was like, Oh, like there's, there's a, there's a milestone or there's a, there's a goalpost here. Um, and the, the goalpost keeps shifting a little bit um, as, as lifestyle expenses creep up, but rather than just saving for the sake of savings, like all, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there, 
there is an end game if you can estimate like what your what your lifestyle is likely to cost. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool way. But yeah, I, I agree. Talking about money uh, probably would be a, a more worthwhile thing for uh, uh, for kids to grow up with. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a, it's just a game of role playing. You know, that's it's how things work. Going back to the childlike curiosity, right? Um, so what, when, when did you say, Hey, I have to create this book. This book needs to go out. Let's get started on it. What, what what was the, and what moved you to make it? Oh my gosh. I first registered this domain 1k 100 ways, like in early 2015, early 2016. I have had this idea sitting on the back burner for years and years and years. And like I've published, you know, probably two or three, four other books, like in between then and now, um, but it was just like one of these ideas that wouldn't go away because it was a cool way to feature a bunch of the you know listeners, members of the audience who've been supporting the show all mm-hmm. along. Like, okay, how can we you know make you the star of the show for a minute? How can we make you the the hero? Showcase all the cool stuff that you guys have have going on, and and also just you know to be to use Amazon as um, a discovery engine in a lot of ways. Like, so that's I mean that's kind of the name of the game. It's self publishing and really a lot of other you know, podcasting similar, right. You know, use, flex your own marketing muscle, like with your own existing audience and network to the extent that you have it to, you know, give the algorithm a little nudge. And then hopefully the flywheel starts spinning and new people discover your content, new people discover the podcast, new people discover the book, and it becomes kind of this, a self-perpetuating type of thing. At least that's, that's been the goal with self-publishing rather than, um, oh, there's going to be a huge standalone income stream because most, most often it uh, is not the case there. Yeah, that's that's um, it's really important to take note of. Very important to take note of. So, are, do you see any um, any? I don't want to say any gaps in any industries, but do you see any opportunities that are just screaming to you recently on where side hustle should go? I know it's kind of tough to like give advice because if people do it and it doesn't work, then it's like, ooh, <laughs> I'm the one who pointed that direction. No, but, no, no, I'll I'll give a couple kind of broad. I mean, guys, there's, there's, there's 450 episodes of the side hustle show, like go pick yeah. and choose um, a couple models that I'm most interested in. Um, the first one is like, if I was to start a new business today, it would probably be this. And that would be an email newsletter type of service with either a daily or a weekly cadence. And I really like the curation model here where it's like, you don't necessarily need to uh, come up with your own original thoughts, but if you can become an expert curator in your space that has huge value for your subscribers because all of a sudden you're cutting through the clutter, you're becoming part of their you know daily or weekly routine. Um, because there's there's several of these that I subscribe to, um, the hustle being one. Although they kind of you know have create their own editorial content, um, all star. I think it's all star money. It's kind of like personal finance one. Um, but there's a few of these, and they're. I don't know. They're just part of my daily habit. Ebiz Facts is one of my favorite. He does it every week on kind of like the, you know, interesting ways to make money online kind of kind of stories, kind of headlines, and and those are super cool. Um, so I like that down the road. Now that you have people paying attention to you, you have tons of options. You can monetize with affiliates, with sponsorships, with um, your own products and services. You get a lot of options going down that road. So if you are uh, already interested in an industry. Um, it's an opportunity to almost work in public and say like, Hey, I'm going to be reading this stuff anyways. And there was somebody, I don't, he hasn't been on the show, but it was like the TLDR newsletter, kind of like tech news. Mm-hmm. He was like, I was reading all this, you know, hacker news, tech crunch stuff anyways. And so it was like, I just put it in this little newsletter and he's, I don't know, doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I think in this business now, um, because it's like so low overhead, it's basically yeah. your time or maybe your assistant's time in curating this stuff putting it into an email, hitting send. I'm sure there's tools to make that automated and easier. There's Substack, there's SendFox today. There's, you know, I think active campaign is like nine bucks a month, even if you want to add at the very early stages, like if you want to add some automation down the road later. Um, so that's one that I'm really high on um, because I think the, the inbox is something that probably isn't going away, even though my relationship with email has certainly changed over the last, uh, you know, three, four, five years. Um, and, and a lot of the like personal communication has shifted towards text, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm still in the inbox every day. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat. The other, um, 
model or the other angle that I kind of like is, and you alluded to it, is video, is YouTube. And yeah. there's there's a risk here, you know, playing in somebody else's sandbox to a certain extent. But I've seen kind of the power of uh, YouTube as a search engine, and YouTube I think it kind of straddles the line because it's search engine. It's a huge search engine, and it's also got this you know wild card viral element where if you can show up in the suggested videos or what plays next kind of a thing, yeah. all of a sudden you can punch way above your weight class, and it's uh, it's a really interesting uh, place to play. I have seen some surprising success in making dumb little screen capture tutorial videos, uh, how to, how to make a folder in Gmail was one of mine that did really well for a while. Like how to download high resolution pictures from Instagram was one of mine that did really well for a while before it, you know, they, before they changed the interface and made it a little, little trickier and my hack didn't work anymore. Um, how to, how to keep Dropbox from like, you know, taking up all your local storage on your hard drive, you know, these random little topics, um, we do really well. So Kevin uh, Stratford is a YouTuber with like 750,000 subscribers or something at this point, but he is dominating what I'll call tutorial YouTube. And he's like a former Microsoft guy and he's done, you know, he just does like demos, product reviews, like how to do such and such in this software product. And he's killing it uh, by at least from the outside yeah. looking in. So I like that. Uh, I like that kind of YouTube as uh, as a search engine type of angle, solve people's answer people's questions uh, on YouTube rather than uh, you know the, the super highly produced like you know stuff is flashing in you know all these jump cuts and everything uh, style of YouTube production. I think there's uh, a simpler way to go. Yeah, I've been digging a lot into um, YouTube as a search engine for for a few reasons right now, and it it really opened my eyes to, Oh, anybody could like literally be a millionaire because the, the tools that allow they, they, there's ways to like, I use vid IQ. Right. Um, and that tells me if you use it properly, where everybody is looking. So it's kind of like what we were saying with the side hustles earlier. If you can add your unique spin or an updated version, maybe something came out today and it's like, oh, how do I do this with the update on this? Yeah. And then you're first in line and it has your spin. Now you're notable. And then and it kind of kind of pushes you through. Um, yeah, I, I would really, and, and going back to the other conversation of like skills that I think people should have, presentation, whether it be, you know, verbal or, or uh, capture on video, it's nice to have good communication skills and good presentation skills. And if you're going to force yourself to make a video, you're going to inevitably be better at them. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So YouTube's definitely on, on my list right now. And going back the, the one uh, to what you were saying about the, the curated emails, the one thing that I didn't do business wise, and it was more of like a hobby was um movie reviews i wanted to be like my oh, own okay. type of movie critic because when i i love movies it's it's my parents had a video store and like there's a whole history with movies and when i was in la i was living in la for a while i'd go to the movies like two or three times a week and i'm like i just i need to i need to start writing about this and i didn't and that's something yeah. i really wish i did and i kind of kicked myself for it how can i get paid to watch movies yeah yeah because i was doing it anyway i was doing it anyway I, yeah but, now, um, if nothing else, if nothing else, now your tickets are a write-off. Now that you got a YouTube right? channel about it, I'll be more than happy to go see more movies. Yeah, and actually, the place, the Barco, where I was going, they had premieres there. Oh, so cool. it was kind of so yeah. So like, so you get in early. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So that was that was one thing that I let go. That's the one that got away. Oh, the one that got away. <laughs> I think there's all these. That, that, I mean, that would be a, a, an awesome uh, topic for. Uh, you know, for an interview podcast, like what's the, what's the business idea that you, that you wanted right? to do, but you never, but you never did. I think that'd be uh, a cool topic for a show. In, in my, cool. Now that I'm thinking about it, there was, I wanted to do, cause I was like in e-commerce and like affiliate kind of like shopping in the clothing space was like my yeah. original side hustle. And so when, um, so when Pinterest came came out. That's how, that's how long I've been doing this. Like Pinterest mm-hmm. didn't always exist. It was like a new thing at one point. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, oh, visual search engine, you know, combined with this affiliate service, combined with like personal shopper service. Like that was going to be like my concentric uh, circles there. And it's just like, mm-hmm. 
uh, the one that got away, it was too heavy for liftoff in a lot of ways. Cause like, yeah. I, I don't know. And so that's kind of what you have to do um, for a lot of different businesses. It's like, okay, if you, if you were going to validate this quickly, cheaply, uh, and, and maybe with, with your own, with the skills that you already have, like, okay, how would you go about and do that? Could you rent something instead of buy it? Could you, you know, practice with your friends and family? Could you, uh, you know, try and try and start a little bit leaner than, uh, well, I got to go find a, a developer firm or something to, to try and build this out for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was one. If I had to go back to my younger self, all the business, all the side hustles I did when I was younger, I definitely would have done leaner. I spent money. I spent money in the wrong places. And okay. that, yeah. Yeah. It just, um, it was, I was very much on the, um, do you have an example the surface? Yeah. Like the surface side, like there was a lot of things where it was like, everything needs to look pretty. And then I was like, Oh, operations are suffering. <laughs> like we don't know what we're doing, but we're pretty. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. It's just things like that. And then I quickly realized like, no, we got to get systems down. We have to be a lean, mean, smooth, smooth operation machine. And then, yeah. then we can look better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, the whole point of doing anything right is evolving. We're not going to know all the answers. We're not going to, I hope you don't know all the answers. Then it gets boring. You don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I think there's a nice balance there though. It is. I, I'm still, uh, still searching for those answers. And that's what I love about my job is I get to learn new stuff every day, you know, yeah. talk to interesting people. And like, I had no idea about your, uh, your gold, your gold business, your oh, uh, yeah. wine, your wine and painting business. Like that's, that's cool. All types of things. Yeah. I've lived a thousand business lives, man. <laughs> <laughs> My first business ever. I was 15 years old. We never actually did anything with it. It's a longer story than I'm about to tell. Um, but it was called impulse clothing design. I thought okay. at 15 years old, I was going to be a clothing designer. I had like five stupid ideas and misunderstood someone that I talked to on the phone saying that they can make these clothes for me. <laughs> Was, oh wow! But like, I went through the process. I got an LLC. Everything, man. It was Dude, that's uh, awesome. That's yeah, so it cool. was really funny. It was really funny. Um, yeah, that was. Do you, you ever play around? Like now that you uh, you know have tabled that, but do you ever play around with like print on demand or merch or anything like that? Oh, yep. right here. I'm wearing it right here. Okay. Yeah, this is our logo. Uh, this is uh, from Printful. At nice. their hands down, one of my favorites. They um, they're really responsible. Um, great products. Um, I should probably get an affiliate link from them, huh? <laughs> I think they I do have an enough. affiliate yeah. program. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I actually used them in a, cause I didn't, so when I sold, I sold one of my companies and it was a very, it was a, it was a very, uh, low tech company. It was, it was a contracting company. And once I got out of that, I started learning more about e-com and I, I, I knew e-com, but I didn't know it intimately. So one of the first things I did was I actually used Printful to start a jujitsu lifestyle brand, right? It was called oh, okay. Nomad. Yeah. We had hats, shirts. We had all super unique uh, designs um, that, that me and my friend, uh, Dan Quintana from Blue Rabbit Studios, shout out to him. Uh, we came up with together and um, it was just an experiment in me understanding e-com. Yeah. And that's, that's the only reason I can even float in this world now is because I understand how e-com and the interconnectivity of, of different pieces kind of stick together. So, I mean, talk about a side hustle there just for the, for the tuition of education. Well, it's so cool that you can do this stuff for essentially free uploaded design. Like there's no mm -hmm. inventory, there's no minimum order yeah. quantities. There's none of this stuff. Somebody orders it, then somebody orders it. And like, if yeah. you do find something with demand and you eventually want to go down the route of your own store and your own fulfillment, you can, but you don't, you don't have to go, <laughs> you don't have to sink all that cash into it uh, yeah. at the onset. Yeah. We're in a really, really unique time in history to where uh, things can be realized and evacuated if necessary, relatively quickly and cheaply. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep on, keep on guys. Uh, Nick, any uh, last thoughts? Before we go, I don't know, man. This has been a lot of fun. I always love yeah. looking out on uh, on this stuff. Um, appreciate the the chance to chat. Yeah, very cool. Um, I will. Uh, there's some stuff that I want to talk to you about off air when it comes to Washington. Uh, excited okay. that that you're headed back there. Um, once again, thank you so much for being part of this. Uh, I appreciate you, man. All righty, cheers. 
thank you again for joining us. And if you like what we're doing with the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs and want to show your support, the best way to show some love is to subscribe and leave us an honest review. We also have a Facebook group where we continue these types of conversations and so much more for all of our continued growth. I can't wait to see you in there.